1: Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and the lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is Adam Sinnott, who is a marketing leader who recently accepted the role of Director of Demand Gen at Emperity, which is an identity platform that helps the world's most beloved brands take control of their customer data. Adam has lived through the acquisition of a few growth stage companies, and we're excited to hear about his experience during times of growth and company transition and about his new role. Here's our interview with Adam Sinnott, the director of demand gen at Imperity. Adam, welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast.
2: Hey, Ben. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I'm excited to have you here. There's been a lot going on, I am assuming, in the Sinnott household, so we're excited to hear about some of the developments in your career. Congrats on the new role and uh, very excited for you.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad that we had a chance to connect up and have this conversation. And the changes across marketing and marketing tech have been so drastic and so prevalent that it's been a fun past couple of years and happy to share some of my stories.
1: Yeah, I think that it's going to be enlightening to hear about the road that you've traveled and it hasn't always been a straight line and it hasn't always been the, the smoothest road. You've definitely dealt with some transitions So let's start off at the beginning. Tell us a little bit how you got into marketing.
2: Well, I actually studied marketing at Washington State University. So I'm one of the rare examples where a person is studying marketing and then you go directly into marketing. And it hit me right away, actually, just after graduating the startup bug. So I started out with Jobster. That was a startup in the HR category. And ever since then, I've been in various stages of startups. So you started off
1: at a early stage startup company out of college. Talk to me about the roles and responsibilities you had, and what did you learn from that first role out of college?
2: Well, that first role right out of college, I was a BDR, essentially, pounding the phones and building out emails, thinking about how many leads can I get through in a day. A lot of it was coordinated around events as well. So it was kind of around 2005, 2006 got a lot of appreciation for that BDR or ISR role, depending on what you may call it at each company. But that was an eye-opening effort of hard work and really thinking about volume and process and getting through all my leads for the day.
1: So for those of us that don't work in the B2B space, tell us what a BDR or an ISR, what does that stand for?
2: Yeah, the BDR is a business development rep. And your focus is most likely new leads that are coming in or target accounts that you need to build out and get contact into. So a lot of these conversations are the newest leads that may not be familiar with your brand, may not be familiar with your service or offering. It's a volume approach, most likely. So you're probably looking at following up with 40 to 100 leads in a day. Maybe it's email or call number one. Maybe it's email or call number 10 for that person.
1: So I've heard of this called a variety of different things, BDR, ISR, SDR, sales development rep as well. And essentially your first job out of college was whether it was email or actually a telephone, metaphorically speaking, banging the phones and trying to drum up leads for the sales team. I see that eventually you moved into a director of marketing coordinator role. Tell me about the transition from being responsible for lead generation to more traditional marketing tactics at Jobster.
2: Yeah. That transition was actually an outcome of a riff at the company. So I was at Jobster for about a year. And then the growth of the company was not keeping up with pace of the forecast. So the company went through a big downturn. Actually, it was about a 40% riff. Left with no marketing team at all. I was on the sales side before And then I ended up picking up some of the pieces or picking up some of the responsibilities, if you will, of marketing. And it was almost as if there was really no direction or guidance that was written out. It was kind of a choose-your-own-adventure in marketing. (laughs) This was a chance where I really started to get into a little bit more on the email marketing side, exact target, for example, that type of stuff, and the Salesforce administration side. Everybody was piecing together things after that rift. And it was an eye-opening experience as a 20-something, recently college graduate and jumping into the deep end of marketing.
1: What I'm imagining is you show up to work one day and the executive team says, ah, crap, we forgot to fire that kid. Well, let's just put him in charge of some marketing stuff because he's still
2: here. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. And (laughs) it was also, oh, crap, we need to send some email campaigns. Who can do this?
1: (laughs) Hey, congratulations. We're pulling you off the bench. You're now a director of marketing. Go get him. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you learned getting into marketing, moving away from the sales side, and how did that vault you forward?
2: Oh, that was absolutely the sales and marketing alignment. Of course, sitting on the sales side first, you have that kind of mystery and wondering what the marketing team is up to. And then all of a sudden, changing to the other team and then saying the other challenges of what are the salespeople calling or what are the salespeople focused on and why are they doing this or that? That, of course, you know, kind of being able to play both teams was the perfect lesson in sales and marketing alignment.
1: So you mentioned that this was an early stage startup. You were there for a couple of years. Was there an exit? Did the company go under? And how did you move forward in your career? What was the next stop?
2: So I had the opportunity to go over on the agency side. And that was a combination of working at Axure Ventures and Ascentium for times where I got a chance to look at the integrated marketing systems, thinking about the big picture of marketing automation. This is before 2010. Eloqua was starting to pick up in popularity and different tools were starting to integrate those types of features that makes a more productive team. So I got out of the startup land for just uh, about 2 years and went over to the agency side and the consulting side and really looked at how is marketing automation playing into teams. It was very early days for Eloqua and Marketo and those other similar marketing automation tech stacks. That was a lot of fun. But I prefer staying in-house and being a part of a team that was focused on one brand and focused on the details of that in-house kind of side of things.
1: It seems to be a common thread here for marketers that start in-house, go to an agency and go back. And the thing that I've heard repeatedly is, I learned a lot from my agency experience. You get a lot of repetition doing similar activities across multiple brands. So you learn a lot about multiple industries, but I like focusing on one problem at a time. Was that the case for you?
2: Yeah, it was. I'd agree with that a lot. The other part of on the agency side that I remember picking up on was you're tossed into a situation and there's no preemptive information. There's not a lot of background. You're just thrown right into the game. And it could be even a one day turnaround or just at the last second. That really got a lot of practice and you get a lot of chance to ask sharp questions, ask direct questions, Be very observant and then adapting into, okay, here's what's going on. Here's the situation. And then being able to start to make recommendations or take your own action. I really enjoyed the engagements and the clients where I had where I was hands-on and I was really working side-by-side with that other team. So that kept things just moving in that constant iteration of what was happening. That was a lot of fun. But I also found that that just personally was not for me.
1: You don't have ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the, you know, as you decided that the agency lifestyle after a couple of years wasn't for you, you jump back into moving in-house and you've taken a variety of lead generation roles. Walk me through some of those roles and and what were some of the things that you learned along the way?
2: I had a chance to join Intellius and then we rebranded to TalentWise. And that was a fun story in the sense that it was a team that was Small, not necessarily accustomed to doing a lot of startup and tech and all that. We were bringing technology and that startup attitude to the HR category. So we were building an onboarding automation solution for HR teams. And this was another B2B product, something that I was starting on the marketing team as a third marketer. We had good stuff going and it was more a matter of just amplifying and growing and accelerating all that good stuff that was happening. And one of the parts that I liked most about TalentWise was at our sales kickoff. It was about 2009. We had just done that around the conference room. There was, I think, 15 of us or so around the table and that was our annual sales kickoff. And growing that and scaling that, we ended up being... I think I remember the last one that I was a part of as a sales conference was about 150 people. There was all sorts of things going on. We had speakers who were coming in that we actually hired as guest speakers and experts in their fields. It was a full production. And That was certainly a lot of fun, a lot of fast paced and very capable and smart people all around that were running campaigns and marketing and sales and the whole operations side of the business and building out a product. That was a very fun experience. It left a big impression on my career. And it really got me focused on being careful when selecting the companies that I'm going for to jump back to Jobster. Jobster had a lot of flash and coming out of college, I thought, this is very, very cool well we also were burning cash at tremendous rate and ended up not being a sustainable business so the lessons learned out of talentwise were really about having a responsible business model being a highly capable smart and talented team and really owning their category and bringing a lot of technology to revolutionize and actually change how hr is processing paperwork and how hr is processing onboarding that was a very fun experience to kind of upend a less traditional category
1: So talk to me about the responsibilities that you had at Talonwise. As you're going through this explosive growth for the first time, did you take on new responsibilities or were you still running the demand gen playbook that you would learn through Jobster and your agency experience?
2: We were, and I would describe it as actually experimenting with webinars and then experimenting with different types of email campaigns. Whatever the marketing mix may have been, It was a lot of new things that were happening that time. So realizing this email tool that we were using at the time when I first came in was not going to cut it. We actually need to start thinking about marketing automation, evaluating, making the considerations on Marketo or other tools. We ended up going with Marketo and bringing that in. That was something that my VP of marketing at the time had not done either. So bringing in this big new technology that was not cheap. And then getting this to integrate with Salesforce, it was the first application that integrated with Salesforce at the time for the team. So we were taking risks, they were paying off, we were trying to be calculated and try new things. And that was a lot of fun to have that freedom to be able to do that, but also to have the team effort and the resources and the budget behind that, that really got my taste for how can we take a couple of risks while they're calculated, while they're organized and planned and odds are they're going to be paying off.
1: So one of your primary focuses while you were at TalentWise was learning and implementing marketing automation for the first time. And I know that that's a playbook that you've continued to run as you move forward. What was the reason for your departure from TalentWise and where did you head from there?
2: So the TalentWise team was going very well. We ended up being around eight or so on the marketing team by the time I departed, and it was not so much that I was unsatisfied or anything like that. I just had felt like the team had grown and the team was in a really good spot. And I was recruited and offered a very interesting position at a new startup in Seattle. That was at ExtraHop. ExtraHop was at around 70 employees at the time. And it was very enticing. It was very exciting to kind of go into a new technology company and get the equity side of it and get the experience to build out another team again and build out another tech stack. and engine strategy. So that was a chance to take my experience and go to a new team at ExtraHop. So
1: it sounds like it wasn't necessarily that there was something that you didn't enjoy about the profile and the role at TalentWise. It was more that ExtraHop came along and you were recruited away from your previous role.
2: Yeah. I think maybe one of the takeaways for your listeners was if you say no to a job, they sometimes will come back twice as hard. (laughs) And that is also kind of interesting way to kind of see what's really appealing about a company or a team, or is this going to be a good fit?
1: That's interesting. I wonder what you did that led the recruiter and the team at ExtraHop to be so aggressive in the recruiting process. You know, was there something that you think stuck out? Were you doing a lot of self-branding? Was there something at TalentWise that they saw that you had capabilities that were unique in the marketplace at the time? Or did they just fall in love and say, we're not leaving here without you? <laughs>
2: So, we had originally started the conversations, I think, sharing best practices and marketing. By the end of that first meeting, we realized that we had a lot of commonalities. We realized we had a lot of similar views on where marketing was going and marketing technology was going and strategy and all that. So, it was actually me saying, uh, you know, I don't think the timing is quite right, or no thanks, not right now. And then we all kind of reflected a couple months later and realized, wait a second, we actually do have a lot of common ground. We should partner up and I should join the team.
1: I think the not no, but not right now is always a good message. It's the last startup that I worked for. And I kind of haven't actually thought about this for a while. I had an initial networking meeting with the CEO of the company and I think actually we started to talk about salary and I said, look, you're too early stage. It's not a fit for me. And they came back a month or so later and said, we're taking on funding. You're our guy. We're going to meet your needs. Tell us what they are. And that was hard to pass up. <laughs> so good lesson for recruiters and good lesson for the marketers listening to the show is sometimes saying no is a great negotiating strategy. Just say no, but not right now. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. So as you made the jump over to ExtraHop, pun intended, tell me a little bit about the roles and responsibilities you had. You know, What was the stage of the company? What were you doing? And just generally, how did you like that experience? You were there for a long time, over
2: five years. Yeah, that's right. ExtraHop was the spot where I have stayed the longest. That was about five, five and a half years. And I was focused on programs and campaigns and how are we hitting our goals. And It was a new technology company for the IT audience. And that took a lot of building out, what are we even talking about? And that marketing message to kind of even set the foundation of what we're trying to do and what ExtraHop is capable of. So there's a lot of different campaigns to a lot of different audiences and messages. Managing all of that was a lot on my plate. And then to keep track that we had a healthy mix of ads on Google, LinkedIn presence, to have email campaigns that are going and webinars and the whole healthy, diverse mix. There was another woman who was doing events and then I was doing all the digital side of things. We really had to be goal-focused and growth-focused. So our goals were qualified leads, how many are coming in per month, and are each of our channels hitting their goals as well. Sometimes we'd have webinar And that may come in very short or go way over on our forecasts because we were fairly brand new to webinars. So I feel like a lot of my takeaway early on at ExtraHop was trying new things and then watching, okay, what were the results and how do we adjust our expectations for the next time? I think being flexible and being able to try new things was a big piece of those first maybe year or two at ExtraHop. And then that really set us up for building out several other marketing team members, having a bigger vision on events, and having a bigger vision on really every category of campaigns. And that fueled a very fast-growing sales team as well.
1: My takeaway here is that your background prior to moving to ExtraHop was really around the marketing automation and email marketing side. You grew up in the sales department and transitioned into marketing by leveraging your ability to understand what to say to customers and then figured out how to integrate the tools that were going to make that uh, easily scalable. At ExtraHop, it sounds like you're taking on additional responsibility. You're managing some PPC and maybe even some content development as well, in addition to the combination between Marketo or Eloqua and Salesforce. Did I get all that
2: right? Yeah, that's a lot of it. And especially trying new things. That was a big piece of it as well. So there's a lot of advertising partners or, or publishers that are out there, where you can syndicate white papers and other material like case studies and videos. Well, we have started trying even as many as 12 different publishers in a year on different tactics and topics and campaigns. So that took a lot of budgeting, evaluating as well. With every kind of new tactic or idea, you have to vet that and understand the costs and maybe what your cost per lead is going to be managing all that. That takes a lot of time and effort as well.
1: So because the company is going through a growth phase, And because it has a little bit more of an innovative approach, you're getting the opportunity to build out some testing infrastructure to learn and evaluate how multiple channels perform. Talk to me about how that experimentation affected growth and what did you learn through the process?
2: It always varies, right? That's kind of the marketing mix that fits one day, may not fit the marketing mix that you need to be planning on for the next day or the next month even. So we had to keep track of each of the campaigns. We had to keep track of how things are being attributed to sales opportunities. And that took a long pass of doing reporting in Excel and then doing reporting in Salesforce and on and on and on. We finally iterated to a reporting methodology that fit with the both sales and marketing team. We're running off the same exact report. And as a sales team, they can keep track of their columns on revenue and pipeline and goals and all that. As a marketing team, we can look at the, I think it was the left half of the reports, and we can look at, okay, this campaign versus that campaign versus that campaign. What we were using at the time was Salesforce and then Full Circle Insights to do that campaign attribution among the opportunities.
1: So you have a little bit of a different marketing mix. You're more more experimental. And so that requires you to build out more infrastructure to evaluate your campaigns. And that's where Full Circle feeding into Salesforce comes in.
2: Yeah, that's right. And now we started to get a very blended attribution. So we actually went from counting our qualified leads every month. That all went to the past and kind of an older model and older methodology of reporting. Now we started looking at this rich data of opportunities and we started looking at the real ROI and we could summarize this by quarter, by year, by month, whatever we may be interested in at the time. As a marketing team, I can't wait for 9 months or maybe 12 months, however long it takes for that deal to close. I need to know quite a bit sooner what's coming out of my campaigns. And now I can adjust faster and be more dynamic based on what has the best ROI. So by being able to watch those dollar amounts come in and watch that real ROI attributed to maybe a PPC campaign or maybe a third-party content syndication, whatever it may be, that's what's able to really drive and help me adjust and optimize And you've been asking about what's kind of scaling and growing. It's that. It's having clear line of sight into my pipeline and into what's being influenced. Once we had that data, we could start slicing it apart and we could start even working with the finance team. Now you start having the finance team coming over and asking, What's account based marketing? And I'm puzzled too because I'm like, Why is a finance person asking me? I wouldn't even think that they would know what account based marketing was, but that was a kind of a moment where I was like, wow, okay, what we're working on has caught the attention of actually every team around the company. And that kind of brought in a lot more interest in campaigns and account-based marketing and everything that we were doing back at that time actually brought everybody together. You may be thinking of sales and marketing alignment. Well, that turned into marketing and IT alignment, marketing and finance alignment, all of those pieces. That was a lot of fun to build out and build those connections to practically every single team around the company who started to get interested in what the marketing team was up to. It sounds
1: like the experience at ExtraHop was valuable to you, not only because it allows you to experiment, but you also built out this infrastructure to be able to evaluate different campaigns, right? So you're becoming not so much of a siloed functional area expert. You're now not a marketing automation expert. You're truly managing demand growth. So talk to me about as the company expanded, eventually after five or six years, you decided to move on. What caused you to make the change from ExtraHop and eventually move on to Azuqua?
2: The ExtraHop team had a lot of really good things that were in motion, and a new opportunity came up at Azuqua. And that was a position where I was going to be able to oversee the people and the strategy and the financial planning and campaign calendars across the entire spectrum of what we had going on for DemandGen. So that was a lot of the enticing side of changing roles and going over to the Azuka team was that oversight and really having a chance to steer the ship of DemandGen.
1: So it sounds like the reason for moving from ExtraHop to Azuka was basically you had the ability to manage a team, move away from being an operator because you've learned how to set up all this infrastructure, and now you're getting to be more strategic and more of a manager than an operator. That's right. Okay. So tell me about the experience at Azuka. It wasn't a long one, but you were obviously successful. The company was acquired on your watch. Talk to me about what you did at Azuka.
2: The Azuqua team had a lot of demand gen already running. And this was an opportunity to bring everything together into a cohesive plan and strategy that was outlined even month to month on a campaign calendar and a comms calendar. So then we also had a chance to take a look with fresh eyes on which webinars were working or which other tools were still needed or not needed, things like that. So... I spent the first couple months actually evaluating what do we have running and making those hard decisions about stopping campaigns or adjusting campaigns. And we also got to know our target personas and a lot of our target solutions. One of the challenges with Zuqua is that there's a solution for nearly any team at a company. So we may be talking to an IT audience. We might be talking to the customer service team. We may be talking to the marketing team. All of these dynamic pieces make the story, of course, change while it's still the same technology, uh, Zuqua, that's the backbone of what's happening. And that got to be a lot of fun in the sense that we can start using dynamic content. We can start trying to find scale where you write one storyline or you write one set of emails and how can you dynamically change these emails to fit different personas and things like that.
1: It's interesting. The thing that comes to mind is my experience working at eBay, where the breadth of the platform is so wide that it was challenging in some ways to market, even though it's an e-commerce store and people think of eBay for auctions. The marketing strategy while I was at eBay was very much on a per product level. And there's so many products that it's really hard to make ads that are that relevant and targeted when you're doing them across hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of SKUs. It sounds like you have solutions and connection points across multiple different SaaS tools, right? That's really what Azuquo is for is connecting all the different SaaS services together. And because there are so many different connection points, you have a million different options to market. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's exactly it. So having all those apps and having all those different combinations of connections makes for an endless list. Yeah, it's just like your story there at eBay. So we had to, of course, focus on some of the most valuable scenarios. But our sales team and our marketing team, we all had to be ready for a new lead that might come in. And they might say that they want to connect X app to Y app, or they may have some custom logic that they want to build into the logic of the integration. That was a whole nother challenge is there's dozens of different operators you could have as decisions or changes in a integration or in an app. So even more layers of complexity...
1: So what did you learn from your time running Demand Gen while you were at Azuqua?
2: To be flexible. And not that I wasn't flexible to begin with, but to be flexible on even the target audiences and the people who we're trying to connect with or maybe the solutions we're trying to come up with a lot of it was actually me taking a fresh set of eyes and bringing up an idea that we had done in the past. But I'd like to put a new spin on it, or I'd like to do something a little bit different. And that I even took the flexibility and take the open-mindedness of my teammates. Because inevitably, when you come to a team or any team that's been around for 8 or 10 years, you've tried all the ideas. There's not a whole lot of new ideas coming. It's more about recirculating back to what have we done in the past? And how can we tweak that? How can we do maybe a little bit better job or do something a little bit different? And then that turned into a lot of practice or experience, if you will, of talking through with people, here's an idea and how can we do this better, bringing it together a team or bringing together the people in the room about an idea or a plan or a campaign.
1: So as you become more of a manager and less of an operator at Azuqua, you're learning the lesson of being flexible, taking in more inputs from the people that are on your team, learning from previous experiences. And eventually the bomb is dropped and Azuqua is acquired. Tell me what happened there. How did it affect you and your team? And what's the story?
2: So... It was just in March of 2019, we heard that Okta was entering into a definitive agreement to acquire us and to acquire the whole company. But that also meant letting go of the business side of Zucua. So the marketing and sales and operations side, we were all looking for new jobs as of then a couple of days later.
1: So I'm sure that's obviously a transition period. I'm sure it affected how you think about the business Talk to me about the acquirer. Why was it messaged to you that the business and sales team was being let go? And what were your responsibilities as you're transitioning away from the company?
2: So the Okta team really wanted to focus on the technology backbone of Azuqua. That is going to play into their long-term vision for Okta. And I think there's a lot of excellent power and success for the Okta customers ahead of them as they get Azuqua built-in natively. For our responsibilities, there was not much. In terms of the, I was being let go the next couple of days, as was the rest of the marketing and sales team. We were not really doing much for the next couple of days, except turning off a couple of campaigns or just kind of making sure that things were documented and ready for someone else to take notes on or pick up from there when the time comes.
1: Okay. So essentially the Okta acquisition was them acquiring the technology of Azukwa, not necessarily intending to continue the business or at least just keep it afloat. So the marketing and sales team were let go as they focused on developing the technology. Talk to me about the reaction from the team and how did you quickly take a step forward? You know, you've landed a new job. Talk to us about the experience of being let go and how you decided to move forward so quickly into your next role.
2: It comes down to keeping track of your network and staying in contact with your network. So, I started to reach out to a couple key friends and past colleagues, and a variety of people who I knew were at other tech companies around the Seattle area. It's a small town of tech people in Seattle, even though we have Amazon and Microsoft, it's still a small town. So, I started to get out there and kind of get my name around as far as that I'm out looking for a new position. And after some networking, I eventually got the ball rolling on a handful of great positions and then an extra set of another probably dozen positions that were open. And then it turned into prioritizing and keeping an eye on what do I really want to find for my next role and what do I want to look for in a team? It's certainly that moment to consider, do I want to keep going down the startup path? do I want to go to a larger company like Amazon or the AWS division within Amazon as a Amazon Web Services that's practically another company within a company so do I want to be a part of that bigger machine or a smaller machine the agency route crossed my mind as well but i kind of quickly came down to the thought process of i want to stick with a startup stick with a marketing team and somebody who's probably a VC backed startup in the Seattle area and then it kind of came down to actually the question of work-life balance and do I want to work from home or do I want to work in an office and how does that all play out? So that narrowed things down and really got me into what I think you announced just at the beginning of the podcast. I have decided to accept a position at Amparity and as their director of demand gen, And that's going to be a lot of fun.
1: So talk to me about the decision process for accepting this role. You're going to, let's call it a growth stage company. What's the reason for this profile of company and why were you excited about this opportunity?
2: So, it's a common theme. I think you've probably started to catch on to in terms of joining smaller marketing teams that are less than 10 people and have ambitions to grow to over 30 people in the next two or three years. And I think that those aspects aligned at Amparity. And to meet the team then convinced me a lot more about their intelligence and the people who are focused on the product and the people who are focused on the sales team and all that, just the energy and the talent around the team was very, very good at Amparity during my interview process. Now, of course, there were another 5 or 6 companies that I interviewed that I thought had great characteristics as a company. So actually, the tipping point for me, I think, was the market opportunity ahead of Amparity. That's what got me very excited and kind of really had Amparity stand out was that market opportunity for growth for seizing what could be a huge, huge customer base and all that.
1: I think the interesting thing to me about your story is how you've gone through your career and used each step along the way as a stepping stone. Right. You started in sales and you learned the value of communicating with a large number of people. That was your core responsibility. And that parlayed you into understanding marketing automation to be able to reach prospects and customers at scale. Out of your marketing automation experience came the ability to start integrating these platforms, out of the ability to start integrating platforms, was taking on a broader expanse of marketing channels and evaluating them. And then even out of the challenging time of being let go, even though it was through an acquisition, you've managed to do some self-reflection and find the right job for yourself. So first off, let me just say congratulations on accepting the new role. Yeah, thank you. When we originally scheduled this podcast, it was going to be around the transition away from companies and how to deal with that experience. And I'm happy to report that we're going to have a happy ending on this and you're starting a new job and it looks like you had some equity in the Azuqua acquisition and that worked out well and you're getting to take on a new challenge today.
2: Yeah. You know, I was thinking back on one of the biggest takeaways that I've had over this job search was continuously staying in touch with your network in a genuine kind of way. I'm not talking about just liking each other's posts on LinkedIn, but to stay friends and stay connected and have genuine friendships and relationships that are strong. And you can count on your friends and your past colleagues when you need them. And then also to repay that back and help out your network or help out a former colleague when they need a favor or when they need an introduction. I probably less than 10% of my time on job boards and whatever website is popular these days, I don't even know. A lot more of my time was spent talking to people and grabbing coffee or connecting up with old friends on the phone and things like that. Being referred here and there to who's hiring or who's looking for positions was 90% of my job search. And I'd really have that takeaway be for your listeners to think about Who can they stay in touch with and keep those genuine friendships and stay in touch with those past colleagues because it's going to benefit them and it's going to benefit you in the long run.
1: It never hurts to help. And I'm sure that when you're in a time of need unexpectedly, like you were sort of pushed into by the Azuka acquisition it's gratifying to reach out to your network and see how many people are willing to give you a hand when it's your turn. So again, Adam, congratulations on the new role. We're excited to hear about what you're working on down the road at Imperity. And thanks for coming on and joining us on the MarTech podcast.
2: Likewise, Ben. Thanks for the time. And I was happy to join. Okay,
1: that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks again to Adam Sinnott, Director of Demand Gen at Imperity, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Adam, you could click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you could visit his new company's website, which is imperity.com, A M P E R I T Y.com a couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question where you can send us your topic suggestions or marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. My handle is BenJShap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we have a once-a-week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and our guest contact information. To have more MarTech delivered to your inbox, subscribe by going to benjshap.com newsletter. Okay, that's it for today, but until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.